Hello and welcome to the Turned On Podcast. I'm Angelique Nori and my husband David and I have made it our mission to break the darkness by flipping the switch on the four most important areas of your life in health, relationships, business, and in faith. And sometimes the light in the world and in your life can go dim, either from the intrusion of technology or simply because society is so driven by instant gratification. It's our mission to help people see that we're hardwired for connection and that the best things in life come when we turn on the light to see with new eyes the opportunity that exists just a flip away. So if you're ready to stir your spirit, open your eyes, and profit in all areas of your life, then let's get turned on. Here we go. Well, 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 welcome back to the Turned On Podcast. I'm your host, S. Angelique Nori. And I'm going to share with you some things today um, that are probably going to be difficult for me to to get through, um, but necessary. And I also kind of just want to share with you what's gone on with our family the last few weeks. And um, if you follow us on social, you may already know. Um, <clears throat> but I think that there's a really important story and lesson um, in what we are going through and um, what we've experienced. So... If you don't follow us on social or if you haven't kind of been in tune with that, which good for you, (laughs) good for you for not being on social. Um, David's dad, my father-in-law, Byron, who I love very much like a dad to me, um, passed away on January 24th. And um, they were actually here in Texas visiting us, he and his wife of 63 years. Um, And... On the 17th of January, he um, collapsed basically in our backyard and had a massive heart attack, which unfortunately led to um, several strokes, which then um, caused severe damage to his brain, and he never really woke up. So um, unfortunately, uh, we have lost him and on this side of heaven, and um the reason I'm sharing this with you is because there were a series of events leading up to and since um, that God's promises have been in, even when we didn't feel it. So, you know, we call this podcast Turned On. And, you know, in David's book, Turned On, it's the subtitle is Tuning In in a Tuned Out World. And that's what we really mean by turned on, you know, is Again, your light is not meant to be under a lampstand. It is meant to shine bright for all to see, for the glory of God to be worked through you, and so that everyone can bear witness, essentially, to who God is. And um, there's a lot that interferes with that, especially in our modern world, especially here in the United States. I feel like we just are, we are so distracted uh, by so many things, and technology being a, a huge intruder. Um, and I'm not just talking about our phones. I mean, that's that's a huge part of it. But, I mean, everything, the things that are going on now and AI and just the news, and it's just an intrusion, intrusion of technology. And it tunes us out to what we need to be really turned on to, and that's God, you know, the Holy Spirit that he is and how he 
desires to speak and communicate with us and and lead us and and fill us because there's a difference between being led and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we get access to so many different gifts and manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit once we um, receive that and in, in his, his splendor and glory and just beauty can shine through all the works that, that you go, you do, you know, not just in the marketplace, but in your day-to-day walk and activity. And I'm going to share a little bit about um, what um, I went through that led up to the event of my father-in-law's um, collapse and bath uh, and passing. But I really was just feeling the need for a closeness and an intimacy with the Lord that I wanted to go deeper, you know, um, early on in January, but right before uh, my in-laws got here, I had prayed and I'd watched some documentaries and I was reading and I was like, I just felt like the Lord was calling me to a fast. I can't remember if I shared this with you or not, but I was feeling very led to do a fast. And now mind you, I had been led to fast for years, you know, recently, like just like, ah, just kind of this, this, um, you know, passing thought all the time. I need to do a fast, but I just like, you know what? I don't know what kind of fast I should do. Cause you can do three days. You can do one day. You can do 14 days. You can do 21 days. You can do 40 days. You can do a sunset fast. You can do it in your fast. You can, you know, fast from technology, whatever it might be. And I was like, just kind of the, the logistics of it were, not clear to me. So I would just not do one, you know, and and it wasn't because I was choosing not to do one. I was just, again, distracted. So I decided to do a fast and my fast primarily, and it's really, it's between God and I, but really just to kind of share with from a high level for you, it's just, I wanted more of him and less of me, meaning I wanted to hear more from him and less of my own thoughts and, you know, less of the world and less of the influence and less of the messaging out there and just more of him. Like I wanted to hear God more, more and more and more. And, you know, I was looking for different breakthroughs and answers in our own life, professionally, geographically, everything. And, um, I said, you know, I'm just going to go on a fast. And I, and it was by myself, you know, I mentioned to David that maybe he should, but again, that's between him and God. So, I did it. And it just so happened that I decided to do it and start it pretty much right before my in-laws got here, which was probably really bad timing, <laughs> you know, from a, um, you know, social standpoint, because they want to come here and go places and eat and, you know, in, in the middle of the day or maybe have a glass of wine or whatever. And for me, it was, I decided to do a sunset fast, which meant that I wasn't going to eat until after sundown. And I was going to do a Daniel fast, which meant no meat of any kind. It was mostly vegetables and fruits and you know, some grains of, you know, protein, complete protein grains like quinoa and whatnot, but very, very, very little. And, um, I decided to do this fast. I did it for like two weeks and, um, it just so happened that it helped have when they were here. And so when they were here, my father-in-law was like, Oh, you need to try this food or we should go here to eat or when I was like, and they would be eating and I'd be sitting there. He's like, don't you, aren't you hungry? Don't you want a French fry? Don't you want it's like, dad, I can't, he didn't quite understand, you know, what I was doing this for, but um, lo and behold, I did. And I actually broke my fast on Wednesday, excuse me, Monday, January 16th. And I broke it that evening at dinner. Um, and I didn't eat all day, you know, uh, like I normally would, but I broke the fast with meat. And it was with a meal um, that Byron, my father-in-law, had um, 
had cooked for us. And I felt, you know what, this is going to be the meal that I break my fast with. And, um, and then I'll just kind of resume a normal schedule tomorrow. And, um, I decided that it was going to be on that particular night. And it just so happened to be that that was the last supper, um, the last supper that I had with dad. And, you know, I just prayed over my food as I always do. And I said, God, just as I break this fast with you, just I'm, I'm, I'm looking for, again, more of you, less of me, and just breakthroughs in my life and clarity and answers. And so all the questions that we've presented before you and laid at the altar. And, um, of course, you know, it's kind of anticlimactic. Not, nothing happened at dinner by any stretch. <laughs> and the next day, on Tuesday morning, um, David and I had a couple meetings, Zoom meetings, and I was about to jump on this 10 a.m. call, and um, Ella came out and said, hey, Poppy said he wasn't, feeling so good. He felt flush. This was the word that she used. And I was like, flush. Well, what is that? You know? And I went to check on him and he had actually taken his shirt off cause he felt, he said he felt hot and, um, you know, he just, just didn't feel so great. So immediately, immediately in my spirit, um, I worried, like there was concern. It wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't just kind of brush it off that he ate something or whatever. It just something didn't feel right to me. Um, so I got the blood pressure machine and the pulse ox and, you know, um, machine and took his temperature and all of his vitals checked out just fine. And so I just sat with him and talked with him a little bit. And of course his wife was like, why well, I've never seen him like this. Why is he doing this? I said, mom, you know, he just doesn't feel good. Let me just kind of keep my eye on him. And so he laid down and when he got up, he, f- he felt better. Um, he seemed okay. He just seemed a little bit, you know, maybe concerned or just, unsure or whatever. And, um, he rested most of the day, just kind of and by resting him and like, just kind of sat around. He sat in the sun. He, you know, hung out and played with the kids and we didn't go anywhere or do anything, but I had my eye on him all day. Like there was just something in my spirit that kept a very close eye on him. And now mind you, this is a very stubborn set in his man ways. And, um, I said, listen, dad, um, I would just feel better if maybe we just took you to an urgent care. You know, if, you know, I know you say you feel better, but don't you think you would just give you some peace of mind? And he said, look, I go home tomorrow. I'll see my primary care doctor. I'll be fine. You know, I'll be fine. And he was very determined that that was, you know, not going to happen. So I respected his wishes, but there was just an unsettling inside of me. And, um, you know, even David felt the same way, but, um, his dad just assured him he was fine. And then by, you know, early evening time, he had a couple sips of wine and he was talking to his daughter on FaceTime and he said, I feel a hundred percent better. You know, he was just talking about how he felt so great. And I was really relieved to hear that, you know, that he was feeling better. But, um, what's funny is, uh, our dog Elvis was outside and he just kind of was staring in the wind inside the window, looking in and, you know, dad was asking, he's like, what's he doing? I said, I think he's depressed because mom threw his ball over the fence. Now on the other side of our fence in our backyard is a little walk path, like a public walk path. Now it's very quiet back there. There's hardly ever anyone walking there except for people with their dogs in the morning. And, um, you can get to it. Like I could jump the fence, but we weren't going to do that. Um, there's a, you know, just a little four minute walk to get back there. It's like going up the street and making a U-turn down the, the sidewalk. And, uh, dad, you know, loved Elvis and his ball. And he said, Oh, we got to go get it for him. And he looked at my daughter, Ella, and he said, Ella, 
let's go get Elvis's ball. Do you want to do that? And she's like, yeah, you know, cause she knew that it was an opportunity for her to get her bike or whatever. And normally, you know, he would just go with her, you know, or, and, and I'm sure one of us would easily join us, but there was just something so urgent inside of me. And the reason why I say something, it's because I know it was Holy Spirit and, um, the, my fast, even though this was not the breakthrough I was looking for, I can assure you, um, my fast made me very sensitive to his directions. And immediately I jumped up off the couch and I said, not without me, you're not. And I grabbed my shoes and I just had a knowing inside of my spirit that um, there was a reason I needed to be on this walk and that Ella could not be alone with him. And because this walk is so short, I would have never grabbed my phone. But again, I turned back and I grabbed my phone because my spirit said, grab your phone. Well, we went on this walk. Ella was ahead of us on her bike. And dad and I were walking and laughing and pointing out all the construction and all the things that had happened since the last time they had been here a couple months ago. And just a totally normal, jovial, childlike self that he was. And um, we turned down the sidewalk and it was about two houses away from our house. And Ella comes walking back with her bike. And um, she said, Mom, I think I heard footsteps. And I said, where? And she's like, in the woods behind the house. I'm like, come on, you didn't hear footsteps. Well, Byron at that point in time grabbed Ella's bike and he said, I want to get on this bike. And I said, Dad, you're not getting on the bike. Give me a break. And again, very, very stubborn, very jovial, very, I'm going to do what I'm going to do kind of guy. And so he gets on the bike and I happen to take my phone out to videotape. And it's funny because he doesn't ride the bike because we're on this little tiny path. It's on a very, 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 very slight, gradual incline. So you don't have to pedal. It's just like you coast. And so I have my camera out and I'm just videotaping dad as he coasts on this bike. And you can see I'm holding him, you know, kind of like you would hold a seven-year-old that's, you know, getting their training wheels off because I just felt like he might think he's riding this bike, but I'm not letting this man go. And I turned my phone off and, um, cause again, it was like probably 15 seconds between the time he got on it and the time we arrived at our, the behind our house and Carol, his beloved wife was standing there at the fence and she laughed and waved at him and he goes hi and not a second later he collapsed and I immediately knew like and the thing is I had my hands on him still so like I didn't let him fall I just I felt it happening and I embraced myself and we kind of like laid down (laughs) in the grass together and um, he was unresponsive. I immediately threw my phone at Ella. I said, call 911 and I started compressions and um, shortly after, within a minute or so, David jumped the fence and he did it with me. And, you know, this whole time I'm sitting there thinking, God, how and why? Like, how am I here doing this? How am I functioning? How am I taking action right now? How is this happening? you know, it's just amazing what the body does in, in adrenaline. And, and I thought, my God, like, I can't believe that this man is, we're going to lose him right here in our backyard. And I prayed and prayed and prayed in that moment and EMS arrived and, um, they put all their, his, their machinery on him and they looked at me as they were leaving. They told me how poor the prognosis was and, David was jumping in the car with his mother and girls and he wanted to get to the hospital right away. And 
I just was traumatized. I was bent over, traumatized. Just I wanted to throw up. And um, I got back in the house and I processed through all this. I've gone through horrible, horrible, traumatic, post-traumatic stress from this incident. But here's what I want to share with you. And I, and I'm, I, I thank you for just kind of giving me the space to kind of process through this right now as I tell this story. But had I not been sensitive to the spirit, I wouldn't have gone on that walk. Um, had I not been sensitive, I wouldn't have paid that close of attention all day long. Um, had I not been that sensitive, I wouldn't have taken my phone. Had I not been that sensitive, I wouldn't have immediately gotten to work. I probably would have frozen and panicked. Who knows? Um, but it was a very sacred, sacred time, um, with him as much as it's a traumatic time. It was a very sacred time. And I just think to myself, how you know, if God chose to take him then, what the what transpired after was the gift to us. So we we for sure, David and I were certain we thought that he was gonna, you know, be gone on arrival um to the hospital and to our shock and surprise when David called me, he was actually they had a heartbeat. He just was still not breathing well on his own, so they put him on a vent. And um I was in shock. Like I, I couldn't believe that this man made it through this cardiac arrest. And, um, it took, you know, it was a whole week now, mind you, within hours by the next morning at 7am, brothers and sisters were flying in from Florida. Um, one was on a cruise. She had to leave St. Thomas, get on an airplane and fly all the way around the country just to get here to Texas. Grandchildren came in, um, great grandchildren came in. I mean, my house I had 14 people in my house. I didn't have a second to process any of this. So that's kind of why I'm doing it here now. Um, but it's so interesting because there was like, you know, there was some things going on. The, the family always grew up like the Waltons. They, they always had a really great upbringing, but as kid, you know, kids get older and they grow apart and they have their things. Every family has their things. And it just kind of, some of the relationships were quite fractured. But what's interesting is that, you know, dad could have easily gone home, um, right there in my backyard. And instead, the gift that God gave this family was time together for them to have closure, for them to say their peace, and for all the children to be together around him. There's nothing more than that, that Byron wanted than to have his children together around him all the time. That was just, you know, what he always wanted and what he cherished. And, um, they got to have that. They got to have that here under really sad circumstances, but it was like God stopped his heart to heal the heart of the family. And while we didn't get the miracle that we wanted, you know, to bring dad back in his full capacity, um, we know that he still woke up and he will wake up in heaven and in a new body and will be surrounded once again by his loved ones. But what what that did was it gave this family time to heal. And it was a miracle, an absolute miracle in itself. And so what I wanted to share and just kind of encourage today, you know, as I share this very sad, um, traumatic experience with all of you, and again, thank you for letting me just share it. What I want to share with you is that it's in these moments where we think that we could never possibly imagine you know, what it is to act, you know, and perform in a moment of time like that, or, 
um, you know, how to forgive or how to speak up or, you know, all these things. And it's like, we could never, our testimonies come from these times of sadness and these times of darkness and these times of testing. And just a few weeks before this, maybe with even a few days, I even, I don't know if I talked about it on a podcast or not, but I did a video and I did it on um, social media. And I said, you know, God is testing us. God is testing all of us right now. Are we going to praise him even when we're at rock bottom? Are we going to praise him even when it's hard? Are we going to praise him even when we, we can't see any goodness? You know, and how would I have known that that would have foreshadowed such a time of, of suffering? Because in this time of suffering, everything in my flesh wants to say, why does this have to happen? Why God, you know, everything in my flesh wants to be angry. Everything in my flesh wants to think it's not fair. Everything in my flesh wants to have resentment over, you know, uh, whether it's decisions or lost opportunities or whatever, which we don't have many with him, thankfully, but, um, you know, instead we praised God harder and more than ever. We praised God from from the hospital room. We praise God at his, um, his side. We praise God through the emotional roller coaster that we went through, whether he was going to make it or not for a whole week. Um, we praise God at his last, last breath. We're praising him still. Does that mean that it doesn't come with questions and moments of despair? And yes, just like Job, but we still praise him. We still praise him. And we, we let go of bitterness. We let go of resentment. We let go of anger. We let go of all of the things that hold us back and unforgiveness. We let go of all that. And, and we heal other parts of our life through these moments and these journeys that, that we don't have a lot of explanation for, you know, and this is David's real first go around at grief. Um, of course he's been by my side as I lost both my parents, my, my uncle who was like a dad to me and my grandmother, He's been there for all of it and supported me through all of it and and grieved with me as well. But this was his first real go around with grief, um, you know, at firsthand experience. And he's just like, I can't even believe the how bottomless this feels. And um, he was very close with his father, very close. Um, and it's just so kind of interesting to watch someone grow in a time where you think that they're shrinking or they feel like they're shrinking, but I'm watching him grow. You know, I'm watching David grow through this and it's pretty amazing how resilient we are and how we come out on the other side of these things. And that's why it's like, you know, how can we tell, teach and empathize um, or help people in times of grief and sorrow when we haven't experienced it ourselves the same way where I don't understand how there's you know marital and relationship you know coaches out there and I'm like you don't have a successful relationship at all like where's the fruit so even when we're in times like this when it's sad and painful and you're in suffering fruit comes it will come from this it will be the long suffering that comes from this. It will be the compassion that comes from this. It will be the patience and the loving and you know the kind-hearted nature that comes from this. It's it's pretty amazing what God can do in these times. Because look, death is the final enemy that's defeated. 
this is not of God. You know, it wasn't supposed to be like this. So by all means, we should not like the idea of death <laughs> on this side of heaven because it is painful. It's Again, it's, it's not how it was supposed to be. But God redeemed it, and he redeemed it through his son, Jesus. And it's, it will be the, final, be the final enemy to be conquered in all of our lives as we have eternal life, you know. Um, so if you're feeling, you know, the sense of loss, whether you're grieving someone that's still here, but it's the loss of a relationship, or you're grieving the loss of a loved one, like, it, it wasn't supposed to be like that. It's okay, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be honest with God. It's okay to feel those feelings. Like you got to face the fire sometimes. And what I want to encourage you is that there will be fruit on the other side of this. Like right now, I would really like to know what that fruit's going to be myself. I've seen it already manifested in just the reconciliation in the family and the healing of the hearts of the family. But there's a lot of, there's still a lot of pain ahead. There's still a lot of closure to be had. We're leaving tomorrow for um, the services. And, you know, it's just, it's a terrible, awful thing that we all have to come to terms with. And it hurts, you know, it hurts. It's a bottomless pain that feels like it's never going to end, you know, but at the end of the day, I know there will be fruit from this. I know there will be. I know that there will be a miracle. I know that may, whether it's in a, a month or 10 months or two years, like we're going to look back at this and our lives are going to look radically different with more fruit than they, it looks right now. And so I'm encouraging you today with, for the same thing, that whatever you're going through, whatever it might be, like there is a story behind this. Like there's, there has to be a testimony you know, it's not just a constant winning streak. It's not. Yes, he, you know, he came for us to have life and life abundantly, but that doesn't mean we don't pick up our cross. It doesn't mean that we don't, we won't get persecuted for righteousness sake. It doesn't mean that we won't experience, you know, pain, loss, suffering. It doesn't mean that we won't cry. Even Jesus wept. Even Jesus wept. Even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he still wept. Why? Because grief is real. And he gave us permission in that moment to grieve. He gave us permission in that moment to cry. He gave us permission in that moment to feel things in our human nature and that we were created in the likeness and image of God because he's an emotional, relational God. He's not some distant guy on the other side of the door that you're just trying to talk formally to. Like He wants a relationship with you. And just as I start to wrap this up, that's what I really wanted when I went into this fast. It's like, I just want a deeper relationship, a deeper intimacy with you, God. I want you to be my friend. I want to be your friend. I want to be able to hear from you and you hear from me anytime I want to. And that's what I want to encourage you with today. We get turned on by tuning in. You know, that's, that's what turned on's about. Like we get turned on to God by shutting out the world, by turning things off whatever that might be. Maybe it's television, maybe it's your phone, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's you know uh, a toxic situation, whatever it might be, we got to turn that stuff off. Have nothing to do with such things. Have nothing to do with evil. Have nothing to do with it. Call it out, you know? Get away from it. Cut it off. That's what a decision is, okay? We decide... Okay, the word incision is you're cutting, like you're, you're cutting into something. You're cutting off when you're deciding. So what do you have to decide on today? 
that you need to do differently? What do you have to cut off today to produce the fruit that you're looking for? What do you have to do to go deeper with the Lord? For me, it was a fast. And and since then, as much as like, gosh, there's been so much distraction, so much logistics, so much business, if you will, of like handling arrangements and stuff like that since this all happened. Like it's so easy to not give your time to the Lord. But it's been the first thing I do every single day. And I'm like, I'm studying, you know, more than I ever have because I have a thirst. And that that thirst makes me go deeper. Even my questions become more robust and harder to answer. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. He's tired of the surface stuff. So if you're in a surface relationship with God and he's use, you're using him as a first aid kit, I would encourage you to go deeper today. I would encourage you to be spirit filled, not just spirit led. There's a difference. When you are filled with the spirit, there's, there's a difference. You know, even Jesus was, you know, was filled with the Holy Spirit um, because obviously it was Jesus, but you know, he was baptized and when he came out of the water, that dove rested upon him, the spirit of God. That's what it is for you. It's not just in you. It's going to be upon you. So the deeper you go with God, the more that you step into the manifestations of what the Holy Spirit has for you and how you can glorify God through your actions, through your decisions, through your words, through your moves, because God blesses what is in motion, not what's anchored to the floor. It will change the atmosphere of wherever you walk in. Things will change, will shift. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is on you, not just inside of you, not just like the diehard battery in your car. That diehard battery in your car doesn't have any good use if the car doesn't leave the garage, my friend. It can't do much from in the garage. It has to, you have to go out, you got to put your key in the ignition or you got to push the buttons. You got to step on the gas. You got to change the transmission. You got to turn on the wet windshield wipers. You got to blare the radio. It's, it's inside of you. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants. How Jesus wants to have a relationship with you through that power. It's a power. It was, we were told that it is a power that we have. That power made me really sensitive to a lot of things during the, their visit here and during that day and after. Like, I'm so sensitive to things now. And I, when I mean sensitive, I don't mean fragile. I mean, like, I am hyper aware, hyper aware. I'm still looking for answers for, from God for a number of things, but he needs me here right now. He needs me hyper aware to what's going on in my home and the people around my home and the people in my home in the people that I deal with on a day-to-day basis, in my father-in-law that day, like I was just hyper aware. And as a result of that hyper awareness and sensitivity to the spirit, my little girl wasn't by herself when this happened. Because of that sensitivity, I had my phone to call 911. Because of that sensitivity, I was able to act immediately and breathe for this man and beat his heart manually so that he could have a week for his family to come in and surround him so they could experience that miracle because of that sensitivity. So I'm encouraging you today to be filled by the, by the Holy Spirit, to, to spend time with God, to go deeper with him. Jesus didn't say if you fast, he said when you fast. So if you've never fasted before, I'm encouraging you to do it. 
study it, figure out what works for you, what you need to fast from, what you need to cut off in your life to, to have God have an incision inside of you. That's my message for you today. And again, I thank you for just allowing me to share this story as, as sad as it is and as, as brokenhearted as we are, as we've experienced such a loss of the patriarch and the trunk of the tree of our family. I will have you know that miracles happen as a result of this. And the final miracle that I wanted to share with you is one back in um, August of 2019. Now David's parents were are devout Catholics and um, his dad actually just converted to, to be Catholic to marry his mother, um, David's mother. And so he's always just kind of gone in support of Carol, but in his you know, more recent years, the last four or five years of his life, he's gotten really close, you know, to us and our relationship um, with Jesus has impacted him so much that he had lots of questions and he was, he would go to church with us where you play, they had praise and worship and they would teach the word. And he was like, geez, I learned more in that 45 minutes than I have in 50 years in the Catholic church, you know, and it's amazing because he had a thirst for it. So, one in the summer of 2019, David was like, gosh, I would really love to just, I would love to baptize my dad. You know, I'd love to baptize my parents, but I would really love to baptize my dad. And I was like, well, dad, David, it's a, you know, it's a personal decision. So he brought it up to him while they were visiting us. And, um, David's dad said, ah, now I've, you know, I was baptized as a kid. I, you know, I did it. And I also had to do it again as I made a decision for your, you know, to be Catholic for your mother. And, um, we were just like, you know, okay. And of course David was disappointed. David was disappointed. Like he really wanted to do this. And I just kept telling David, I was like, David, it is not, you, it might, you might feel compelled, but it is not your decision for your dad. He has to make that decision on his own. So, um, they went home to Tampa after that trip. And two days later we got a phone call and it, it was David's mom. And she said, David, your father has something to tell you. And we were like, well, why wouldn't dad just call and say, I have something to tell you? But it just, there was something important that came with that call. And David's dad said, David, Angelique, something woke me up at 2.30 in the morning and I couldn't go back to sleep. And I knew what he was saying. I was like, something woke him up. It was the Holy Spirit that woke him up. He said, something woke me up at 2.30 in the morning and I couldn't go back to sleep. And that something continued to tell me that I need to come back to Tennessee and get in that river with you and Angelique and be baptized. And when I come out of that water, I'm going to be a new man. So at 80 years old, at 80 years old, my beloved father-in-law and his wife, Carol, were baptized in the Harpeth River in Tennessee. And that's a miracle. That's a miracle. That's why I'm encouraging you to like let your light shine. Do not be afraid. The work of the Holy Spirit is real. God is real. The work that he's doing in you is real. And it can affect the most stubborn people. It can impact the most set in their ways people. It can impact a Saul to make him a Paul. And that's what we saw in, in, in David's dad. That's what we've seen in so many of you, you know, view and your testimonies. 
Um, and that's what we've seen out of this experience. Your testimony matters. Your relationship with God matters. He doesn't want you to hold it behind the four walls of your home or your church. It is best utilized when it makes the most impact beyond those walls. When it goes out and displays who God is through your words, through your actions, through your courage, through your boldness, and through the fire that he has baptized with you, you with. So thank you guys again for taking the time to share, uh, for me to share my um, testimony with you. I hope this is encouraging to you today. Um, I hope that it uplifts you in times where maybe you're feeling down, and I hope that it pushes you to the next level of your faith because God so desires it. And he intimately wants to get to know you even more because he knows every hair on your head. He just wants you to know who he is and the work he wants to do in you. And he wants you to be honest with him and he wants you to go deeper with him. And he wants to do some great and mighty things that you do not know. That's Jeremiah 33, three. Love you guys. Have an amazing, amazing day. And we'll see you next time.